Welcome to State of the State, the monthly roundup of policy and research for the state of Michigan, brought to you by the Institute of Public Policy and Social Research at Michigan State University and our friends here at WKAR Studios. I'm Arnold Weinfeld, Associate Director for the Institute. Today, I'm joined by MSU economist, Dr. Charlie Ballard. Later on, we'll be joined by our guest, Rich Studley, former CEO and president of the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, who is now leading an effort seeking to change Michigan's term limits law. But here in Michigan, politics has been unabated. Uh, last week, uh, or this week, actually, let's start with this week, um, Secretary of State's office made a recommendation to our State Board of Canvassers to deny placement of half of the Republican field that is hoping to run for governor. Um, anything like that happened previously in your, in your mind? Um, you know, I wish uh, Matt Grossman, who's often on our program, um, were here with us, but he's, he's uh, ill. He's, he, he's fighting, uh, fighting an illness. So uh, he, he knows more of that stuff than I do. But uh, to scouring my memory, I, I can't think of such a dramatic uh, case where so many folks um, are in danger of not being on the ballot. Of course, the board of canvassers has to rule on that and we'll see what happens. But, uh, and that, that meeting is actually, uh, today as we record this on Thursday, uh, the 26th here, that, that meeting is today. And some of the comments I've seen, uh, even from at least one of the Republican members of the state board of canvassers is not promising for those candidates. And I'm sure that there'll be uh, other repercussions, um, uh, moving forward, but, it certainly does uh, put a different spin on the Republican race for governor, the, for, for their nominees. Um, certainly whittling a field uh, by 50% from 10 to five will now focus energy efforts and fundraising on uh, some of the other, other folks who uh, were not necessarily considered front runners, but as one of the, as the original front runner, former police chief uh, Craig, uh, is one of those that uh, is being recommended to not be placed on the ballot. It, it's a whole new ball game on the Republican side. Certainly is, and um, I, I, my crystal ball is cloudy enough that I don't have uh, much of an idea about how this is all uh, going to shake out. But it is certainly a cautionary tale for anybody running for office or anybody who wants to get some kind of an initiative on the ballot, uh, you better be careful about the people who are collecting signatures. Well, Michigan has one of the toughest uh, mechanisms by which to uh, get on the ballot through petition signatures. Some states, even for statewide office, all you have to do is pay a fee. Um, so I'm sure we'll have some discussion of that as well moving forward. But yes, you're absolutely right. Um, those that uh, are being uh, sought to uh, be removed from the ballot, really their first experience at running for statewide office. And it shows what a complicated and um, uh, in-depth process it, it can be. It's not just a process of saying, I'd like to be governor, or I'd like to be elected to this position or that position. Uh, 
there is some respect for the laws and uh, regulations that we have that go along with it. So I, I, I'm thinking that even after the State Board of Canvassers rules and whatever lawsuits those five might file, that there'll be some discussion of the actual mechanisms by which one gets on the ballot here in Michigan, and probably rightfully so. Yes, yes. I think um, uh, there will there are plenty of people in Michigan who, at this point, think it should not be as difficult to get on the ballot as it is. Right. Well, along with politics uh, comes the economy. And uh, last week, uh, a group from the Michigan Department of Treasury, our House Fiscal Agency and Senate Fiscal Agency came together to come up with what we call the, a consensus revenue estimate, uh, which is then used by uh, legislative leadership and the administration to fashion the budget. And lo and behold, um, we have $5 billion more dollars to play with. Unbelievable. When you think about two years ago, uh, when the when the COVID pandemic broke and all of the conjecture of how the economy would be impacted, I mean the first uh, first first wave of estimates was that it would have a deleterious effect uh, on the economy. And now, as we've moved forward and coming out of the pandemic a bit, um, we're awash in money, and not just federal money coming from the federal government, but the economy is actually moving forward. As a matter of fact, um, you know, I heard someone talk about stagflation uh, the other day. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about inflation. But maybe for our listeners, Charlie, you can talk about inflation versus stagflation and those those uh, conditions that, that lead to both. Sure. Well, let's first talk about the, the, the revenues. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, here we are toward the end of May. And toward the end of May, uh, two years ago, um, most analysts believed that the COVID recession was going to be much, much deeper than it actually was. Uh, April of 2020 was catastrophic. But then, uh, to the surprise of many, uh, because the statistics uh, come in in different ways and, and uh, they're not always uh, reliable and we can't always read the tea leaves quite right. The, there was a substantial bounce back in, uh, in May uh, two years ago, and we've continued to bounce back since then. And so the um, horrible, horrifying uh, revenue projections from two years ago did not come to pass partly because of a, a huge infusion of federal money, but also, as you say, uh, that even without the federal money, uh, revenue collections are, are coming in um, better than expected. One part of that is a quirk of Michigan's sales tax. It applies to less than half of our economy. Um, and the, the stuff that it doesn't apply to in, includes a lot of services. Well, the nature of the COVID recession was that uh, a lot of services that people might have done, uh, they didn't want to do because that involved going someplace. And so they started buying more goods, more uh, furniture, more uh, vehicles, more uh, things to build. And all of those are taxed. And so the sales tax revenues have been quite strong. And of course, along with uh, the, the billions more in, in surplus, are a number of proposals on how to spend that money, um, right. including several uh, tax cutting proposals. Uh, 
both the House and Senate uh, majorities have uh, passed legislation <clears throat> uh, for cutting income tax, uh, pension taxes, and also uh, increasing the earned income tax credit, which has been a priority of the governor. The governor has proposed a few different ideas. Um, why don't you talk a, a bit about sustainability in regards to these one-time monies and surplus as related to what's the best vehicles to quote, give back some of this money to the taxpayers? Right, um, there's a danger if you have a surplus that you believe to be temporary. There's a danger in making changes that are permanent. Uh, and that's why I'm, um, uh, I have limited enthusiasm for any kind of permanent uh, income tax cut because come 2024, I think we're, we're going to be uh, in a, uh, back in a place where revenue is very scarce and we still have uh, a lot of unmet needs, especially in terms of our transportation infrastructure, our roads and bridges, and, and the list goes on. Um, so the governor has proposed a $500 rebate, and that would be a one-time thing. That would uh, uh, use some of the money that we have now, and, but it wouldn't um, cramp our ability to do things two years, three years uh, down the road. Um, uh, all, you also mentioned the uh, uh, earned income tax credit, which is a, a subsidy to the earnings of low income families. Most of that money goes to low income families with children. Um, and uh, that's one that I support. Uh, there's also the uh, uh, end of the uh, taxation uh, of retirement income, which uh, we've talked about on this program before. And I'll say it one more time, even though I'm on the cusp of retirement, I don't think that's a good idea uh, for Michigan because the vast majority of that, that tax break would go to affluent retirees. And uh, I don't think that my citizenship ends when I retire. So how's that for a, for a quick summary of the various uh, <laughs> parameters? As always, uh, spot on and, and, and pointed. Let's get back to a minute. You, you talked about um, the economic future a bit. Yeah. Uh, as I noted earlier, people are, you know, very strapped by, by the inflation right, right. now. Um, what do you see in the future? What is this talk about stagflation versus inflation? Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Inflation is just that prices are rising. Um, and we often think of that as being in a situation where, um, the, the increase in prices was due to too much demand in the economy. That's what happened at the end of the 60s when we fought the Vietnam War and didn't raise taxes to pay for it. Um, but stagflation is when prices are rising, but uh, the economy is not growing. And we have many, many hints of that now because a the, the current inflation has two causes. One, on the demand side, people have a lot of money to spend. And I will say, honestly, my view is that the uh, stimulus checks um, were more generous than they should have been. They, uh, we had stimulus checks going to people whose incomes was four times as high as the median household 
I think that was a mistake. We, we injected too much cash. But then the other thing that is causing this is the supply disruptions. Um, and just a huge number of those, many of them COVID related. Of course, the semiconductor chip uh, shortages in the auto industry is not directly a uh, COVID thing. That's something that was uh, already beginning to bite before COVID. Uh, but there are a lot of supply disruptions. And if you go to the uh, grocery store, you'll see um, empty shelves in some places. Uh, if you go to the gas pump, you know that uh, fuel prices are high. Uh, that's partly because of the disruption of the world oil markets due to the war in Ukraine and, and the, because you, Russia is a big oil exporter. So if, if, if there's supply disruption and if you, the economy is not growing because you can't do stuff, that's the stag part of stagflation. Um, where that's going to be in a year is very hard to tell. What's happening now is that the Federal Reserve is restricting credit, raising interest rates in an attempt. What they want to do is tap the brakes so as to slow down inflation without causing a jolting recession. That's a very tricky balance to do. Um, some analysts think they'll be able to pull it off. Some don't. Right. And it's not the first time that this strategy has been attempted, and it wouldn't be the first time that uh, we had problems because of it. Certainly not. Right, right. Well, um, the title of this show is State of the State. And uh, so I think uh, we've covered that very broadly. But right now, uh, I'd like to uh, bring in our guest. Um, to talk about an issue uh, that has had a lot of discussion in this state for uh, almost 30 years now, and that's term limits. So let's, uh, let's welcome Mr. Rich Studley to the program. As I noted, Mr. Studley is uh, one of the leaders of an effort to change Michigan's term limits law, a proposal that will appear on the November ballot. The coalition is chaired not only by him, but by former Michigan AFL-CIO leader Mark Gaffney, and includes Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan and former House Speaker Jace Bolger, holding to the axiom, axiom that politics does indeed make for strange bedfellows. Rich, welcome to the program. Why don't you take a few minutes to discuss how all this came together, what the proposal would do, and why this is important now. Thank you, Arnold. I would say that the state of Michigan is good, but we can do better. I do wanna thank you and Charlie for the opportunity to visit with you today and commend the Institute and WKR for your longstanding commitment to educate and inform Michiganders about good public policy. Uh, our view as a bipartisan citizens coalition is that democracy is not a spectator sport. There are times when there is an opportunity for good public policy and you have to take the lead, you have to take the initiative. I'm one of four volunteer leaders. All of us are longtime Michiganders, Democrats, Republicans, and business and labor who look back to the decision Michigan voters made 30 years ago to enact term limits. I voted for term limits. I would speak out and oppose any proposal to repeal or weaken term limits. So we had a good and healthy discussion, Democrats, Republicans, business, labor, other citizen leaders, community leaders from across the state. And we decided that now was the time to come together 
to try to encourage and support, to educate and inform Michigan voters, uh, really focusing on this simple question. 30 years ago, Michiganders voted for term limits. If I think about the listeners and viewers of this podcast, I'd encourage everyone to ask this question. If you're driving a 30-year-old car today, or you live in a 30-year-old apartment or home, have you ever had to make any maintenance and repairs? Are you still driving the same car? Are you still living in the same home or apartment and everything is perfect? There's no opportunity for improvement. If you're happy with the status quo, if you're happy with politics as usual in Lansing, this ballot proposal is not for you. What will be considered by Michiganders in the November general election is an opportunity to revise and update term limits. This proposal amends the chapter of our state constitution that deals with the legislature. And so it only makes two very simple and straightforward changes. Today, a person can serve a total of 14 years in the state house in the Michigan Senate. The ballot proposal that we're discussing today would lower that from 14 to 12. Today in Lansing, Michigan is one of only two states in the country with no financial disclosure requirements for state lawmakers or state officers, the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and secretary of state. The other state is Idaho. I've been to Idaho. It's a beautiful state, uh, but it is sparsely populated. They've got about 1.4 million people, a part-time legislature, a small state government. We have 10 million people. We have a large state government. We have a full-time legislature. So we believe our system of checks and balances would be improved by lowering the total number of years a person can serve in the legislature, but allowing them to serve all or part of that in the state house and Michigan Senate and requiring if voters say yes uh, to this proposal to enact detailed and comprehensive, detailed and specific financial disclosure requirements for every state lawmaker and all state officers, we can do better. And we're looking forward to the opportunity to debate this proposal to improve state government. Thank you, Rich. Now, just to be clear, right now, our law says that you can spend no more than three two-year terms in the House and two four-year terms in the Senate. Under this proposal, you'd be able to spend all 12 years in the House or all 12 years in the Senate, whatever combination you wanted. Is that correct? That's correct. 30 years ago, Michiganders voted for term limits. Many of us voted for term limits because we believe that serving in the legislature shouldn't be a lifetime career. The goal was to eliminate the opportunity for career politicians to stay in office so long that they would gain so much power and influence over the legislative process or the appropriations process. We had lawmakers in those days uh, from Northern Michigan, the UP, West Michigan, and other parts of the state who didn't even live in their districts anymore. They had gained so much power and influence. So uh, there was an opportunity there. Voters said yes. I think what we're dealing with today are the unintended consequences. We have a bicameral legislature, a Michigan Senate and a state house. What we see today is good people from both sides of the aisle elected in November and before they're sworn in uh, or attend their first session, they have to decide whether they're going to run for Speaker of the House. We have people who are elected into the majority and the first time they ever attend a committee meeting or public hearing, they're chairing the meeting. Uh, experience does matter. Having some time 
whether you're a township official, a city official, or a school board member, to understand your job and do the job you have is a tremendous advantage. The intent of this proposal is to slow the revolving door in the state house so people who are elected to the state house can do the job the voters have given them instead of looking at serving in the state house as a stepping stone to higher and higher office. And, and what about the financial disclosure portion of, of the proposal? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, currently we require no financial disclosure. The original proposal uh, was to require the legislature, if voters say yes, to enact uh, a detailed and specific law outlining assets, liability, sources of income, business relationships, and other relationships. There are eight specific areas that are spelled out. When voters say yes to this proposal, the legislature will have one year to enact a law that covers those eight areas to provide for detailed financial disclosure. The Secretary of State must make those reports public, available to every Michigan resident. If the legislature fails to act or enacts a law that doesn't meet the clearly spelled out requirements, every Michigander would have an individual cause of action. So this requirement for financial disclosure has teeth. You and I and anyone else in the state could go directly to the Michigan Supreme Court and ask for an order to force the legislature to comply. We believe they will comply. It's just really no longer sustainable. No one in the State House or Michigan Senate can explain why we're one of only two states that has no financial disclosure. And we were pleasantly surprised to see that meaningful financial disclosure requirement receive strong, broad-based support in terms of voters, the Michigan League of Women Voters supports the proposal. Detroit Chamber, Grand Rapids Chamber, Bishop Edgar Van, Detroit Interfaith Leader, Hispanic Chamber, NFIB, American Federation of Teachers, Business, Labor, Democrats, Republicans have come together and said, we can do better in Lansing and we deserve better. Let's talk for a minute about uh, those on the other side. Um, you and I both uh, have been around state politics a long time yourself as uh, CEO uh, of the state chamber. You were with the chamber for a long time before that. Um, and certainly one of the uh, proponents of the original term limits law, uh, Patrick Anderson, um, has consistently opposed any changes uh, to term limits. Have you or anyone in the coalition had a conversation with Patrick or anyone that will be opposing uh, this proposal? As the four leaders of the ballot question committee uh, did our homework, we talked with a wide range of individuals and groups, supporters of term limits, opponents of term limits. I know many of those individuals personally who were involved. And over the years when we've talked with them to say, why 14 years? Why two four-year terms in the house, three two-year terms, uh, in the, I'm sorry, the other way around in the, in the House. Uh, the honest answer we've gotten from many of those proponents is it's just math. People are elected on two, for two-year terms or four-year terms. Two plus four is six. Uh, there is no compelling policy reason to limit the total number of years a person may serve in the State House uh, to, to six or the total number to eight. Uh, it was just what proponents were thinking at the time. I think it is understandable that anyone, anytime anyone talks about amending the state constitution, 
Michigan voters should ask a lot of questions. It is our most important and fundamental political document. The question I would ask the opponents uh, who really have come out four square in favor of politics as usual in Lansing is what are you in favor of? And they have no alternative. We would be remiss if we miss this opportunity to enact good public policy to make state government better. Some people have said, well, why 2022? Why don't you wait until 2024? That will be a presidential election year uh, when the U.S. Senate and members of Congress are also up. We're concerned that many of those national campaigns will be very contentious, bitterly disputed. And our experience is that in non-presidential election years, it's a better environment for Michiganders to listen and learn and decide what should be in our state constitution without getting drowned out with 30 second sound bites, vote for Jane Doe or John Smith for, for president. So now's the time. Uh, democracy is not a spectator sport. We think Michigan deserves better. The opponents are in favor of maintaining the status quo and politics as usual in Lansing. We think it's a great opportunity for positive change through good public policy. Well, and as you know, uh, our Institute has since the beginning of term limits, uh, conducted a two and a half day orient policy orientation session for incoming legislators in December following the general election. And this year, if we did our counting right, we could have up to 70 participants because that both the House and the Senate are, are up here in Michigan. And that's nearly half the legislature. If all, if all those seats that are open were won by new candidates, we could have up to 70 participants. So that's, that's quite something when you think of it that we could be replacing half of the legislature. Charlie, any, any thoughts or questions, comments for Rich? Well, um, I, I wanna say first, Rich, thanks, thanks to you and uh, to the others who are leading this effort. I, I, I think this is a, a move in the right direction. Uh, I think we're long overdue for financial disclosure. Um, and the, the fact that under the current rules, there's a, there's a separate limit for time in the House and for time in the Senate means that in each chamber, there is a limit on uh, uh, historical knowledge and, and uh, that, that institutional memory that is really important for getting things done. Uh, I guess my question is, wh why 12 years? Why not 16 or some other number? Charlie, as uh, you've seen through the research that the Institute has done, uh, for better or worse, Michiganders, Democrats, Republicans, and independents like term limits. Uh, what we learned is we listened and tried to develop a proposal that was good public policy and could pass in November was that any proposal to repeal term limits was a sure loser, and there was not much support for that. Any proposal to increase the number of years was also extremely unlikely to be approved. So sometimes good policy is good politics and you try to live in the real world. What can we accomplish to make the current system better? And that's why we focused on reducing 14 to 12. 14 was arbitrary. The six year limit in the state house is equally arbitrary. So our goal was to strengthen and improve term limits, but slow the revolving door so that being elected to the state house isn't always a stepping stone to higher office. You and I have both seen good people elected to the state house, assigned to committees the 
House Appropriations Committee. There isn't a lot that prepares you uh, as a township trustee or a school board member to deal with a uh, $55 billion budget for a public corporation with 50,000 employees and, and 10 million uh, stakeholders. And so there's a learning process there. And we think that lawmakers can be better in their second and third term. Nobody should get elected to the state house and have to decide before they're sworn in whether they're going to run for speaker. How about if you serve on a committee for a year or two before you chair the committee? How about if you chair a committee for a session or two before you run for speaker? Experience matters. Well, Rich, I, uh, I want to thank you for being with us um, and uh, detailing the proposal, uh, the reasons for it. Uh, right now, as far as I know, uh, this proposal is the only one on the November uh, general election ballot, but there could be others. Uh, that could impact. And of course, we could see impacts from the governor's race on down the ballot uh, in, impacting uh, proposals such as this. But we'll certainly be keeping an eye on this. Um, I, you know, I personally have never been a, a supporter of term limits. I'm pleased to see the bipartisan um, strengths of, of the coalition you've put together. Uh, a lot of respect for you and the others involved. And I, for one, certainly uh, wish you the wish you the best of luck. So thank you again for being with us. Thank you, Charlie and Arnold. We'll stay in touch. Your viewers can learn more at VotersForTransparencyAndTermLimits.com. Sorry about the long name, but we wanted to go with something that was pretty self-explanatory. Thanks very much, Rich. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you being with us. And my thanks again to Russ White and the staff here at WKAR for their support of this program. Join us again next month on State of the State.